Ballet Arizona presents The Nutcracker. Dancing sweets, mischievous mice, and falling snow are all accompanied by Tchaikovsky's glittering score, live with the Phoenix Symphony. Celebrate the wonder of the season December 9th through 24th at Symphony Hall. Tickets at balletaz.org. friends and welcome to the dance edit podcast i'm margaret fuhrer i'm lydia murray and i'm amy brandt we have three out of four of us here this week which is such a delight hi guys welcome to our fourth mailbag episode fourth in an ongoing series and what is a mailbag episode exactly well we asked you all to send in your suggestions for discussion topics dance world ideas and issues that you'd like us to get into And today we will be pulling two of those topics from our digital grab bag for discussion. So this episode's winners are first, the professional dance world's inroads into TikTok and the upsides and downsides of that development. And second, the value of older bodies in dance, of seeing them in professional dance environments and of making room for them in all dance environments. If your topic didn't make it into this episode, don't worry. As I mentioned, we will definitely be doing more mailbag rounds in the not-so-distant future, so please keep the ideas coming. The easiest way to share those ideas is on social media, so make sure you're following the dance edit at the.dance.edit on Instagram and at dance underscore edit on Twitter. And then please feel free to leave us a comment or slide on into our DMs. All right, so let's get right into our first topic, professional dancers and dance companies on TikTok which is a trend that was sort of slow to gain steam in the earlier days of the app, but that is now very much in full swing. This is an idea that several of you wrote in about, including Minnie Lane and Bobby Briscoe. So thank you to Minnie and Bobby in particular. It's not yet universally expected that a dancer or company will be on TikTok the way pretty much everyone is like required to be on Instagram. But A number of professionals and at least a couple of companies now have very large followings on TikTok. They've finally sort of gotten a handle on the app's sensibility. So what are the positive and negative aspects of that trend? And what does it reveal about what it means to present yourself as a serious artist today? I think some of the positive aspects are that it's easier to reach audiences who might not ordinarily know or really care that much about dance, especially concert dance, because commercial dance obviously is, you know, it's it's designed to be in the mainstream. And I think it kind of can offer a way around certain longstanding beliefs that are held in the dance world uh, that might be due for a change. Um, I've seen some TikTok videos where people are thinking about how to take class and what class means and how to, you know, teach in a way that serves different kinds of dancers. And there have also been certain conversations about the origins of things like ballet and maybe certain elements that might not have been taught in school or taught in you know ballet classes. Of course, sometimes that can sort of maybe lead to a darker place to um, if there's not enough of a balance, it doesn't have to be, you know, all about how how terrible certain things in dance are or how great they all are, you know, having a little bit more balanced information about both, I think, 
can be, you know, one of the positive sides of TikTok, even though it's not unique to TikTok. But Mm -hmm. I think part of it is just that that's the direction that a lot of conversations in dance have been going in for the past few years. And that just happened to coincide with the rise of TikTok. It does feel nice to sort of unstuffify concert dance generally, but professional ballet in particular, to see dancers as people, which is very much the TikTok ethos. Right. Um, It has been kind of interesting to watch the shape and the feel of TikTok evolve over time, or at least, I guess, over the couple of years that I've been on the platform. Like the fact that professional dancers and companies are gaining traction as the TikTok dance challenge is losing traction, that feels significant to me, that one type of interaction with dance giving way to another type of interaction with dance. And you do now see a lot more of the type of like typical Instagram-y stuff dance stuff making headway on tiktok like there are viral pirouette videos on tiktok now that's a thing it definitely didn't used Mm -hmm. to be right i think the challenge era kind of coincided with the pandemic when people needed things to do and they needed ways to feel connected and now that that's kind of ending there's a little bit more of a shift back toward people doing things that are you know beyond the capability of most people and i think also uh, just generally, the trend of professional concert dancers and dance companies on TikTok is largely just a newer example of concert dance in media. And I think this conversation mm-hmm. is sort of just a new iteration of those longstanding debates about the role of concert dance in media and pop culture. And part of what seems to be happening is that TikTok hasn't been fully embraced yet. It's still new enough that people who tend to be late adopters to new technology have not yet fully adopted it. Um, so it can kind of mm-hmm. seem like a phenomenon or like an option when really it, it likely isn't. But getting back to that idea of you know relatability versus basically, you know, excellence, I guess, um, something that I've noticed about TikTok culture is that it seems to value what I call the casually extraordinary. Mm-hmm. For public figures, it's a place where your skill and your talent and your kind of more normal human qualities can coexist. And it can really give a glimpse of what it's like to be that sort of person, like ABT's TikTok feed, where there's that series where mm-hmm. <laughs> the dancers talk about their least favorite ballet stuff, and then they explain the stuff, and then they demonstrate mm-hmm. it. Everyone says Gargoyan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that example kind of shows the human side, and it also educates, and it also can help bring ballet to new audiences. Yeah, I think there is like an expectation with especially in today's younger generations that that relatability factor is, you know, because they've grown up with social media, that's kind of expected now, I think, from public figures, where if you think of the ballet stars of the past, like I can't imagine Suzanne Farrell or mm-hmm. Mikhail Baryshnikov, you know, like just kind of jamming into some sort of dance on TikTok or anything like that. Um, I can totally see Baryshnikov doing that, but go on. <laughs> I was going to say, actually, I think Baryshnikov might. Farrell, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but I think that's kind of been kind of cultivated in our cult- culture today. And, and we're like used to seeing that now from whether it's movie stars or dance stars. Mm-hmm. And I think it is kind of serious business for a lot of professional dancers. I mean, I just interviewed Jonathan Batista, the new principal mm-hmm. dancer at Pacific Northwest Ballet. And, you know, he was saying he like devotes a, an hour of his time every night to like kind of content creation and personal branding on social media. And I think a lot of dancers do. And it's part of the business side of it. I mean, it's fun too, but it's also part of the job in a lot and for a lot of dancers not for everybody but for a lot for a lot of dancers i think you know i think it's awesome for really engaging 
new audiences, younger audiences. I think some older generations may be a little like bewildered, uh, you know, because sometimes it can come across as goofy or silly. But, you know, I think it it, it does kind of, I mean, dancers are often young. So it kind of really emphasizes that to me sometimes when I look at some of these videos. I think for older generations, there's this, I think when social media kind of emerged, at first there was a lot of emphasis on the social part of that. And now there's more emphasis on the media part. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes bridging that gap can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly the balance that some of these accounts are trying to strike. Some more successfully than others. Actually, one thing, I don't mean to talk too much about the ABT account. It's just extraordinary because it is, you wouldn't necessarily expect ABT to be a TikTok pioneer and they invested in that very aggressively and very deliberately. Um, but one thing that they do particularly well is the combining of the focus on expertise with the like lighter touch sort of silliness of, mm. of TikTok that Lydia was right. talking about. Um, like one of their most recent viral videos is Skylar Brandt, who herself is a great has totally mastered the TikTok sensibility doing like, I don't know, like 50 pirouettes while holding her phone in her hand. So first you see the 50 pirouettes and then you see the phone's perspective. And it's this like weirdly hilarious close up <laughs> of her aggressive spotting, which is, yeah, kind of exactly the balance that accounts like that have found is like their sweet spot. Yes, we are extraordinary artists. We are also people. I think there's some value in that um, without losing too much of the gravitas of the form or too much of the mystique that mystery, can be part of the mystery. appeal with yeah. ballet too. Yeah, I agree. I think coming out of the Instagram era where everyone was so, or I shouldn't say everyone, but there was so much pressure to make yourself look as perfect as possible. And I think that led to a lot of problems in terms of self-esteem mm -hmm. or just almost impossibly high standards. And now just generally even outside the dance world, TikTok is kind of, you know, it's it's sort of an answer to that or the the culture that's formed on TikTok where people want to see people, you know, being a little bit more real. And I I think that that's I think that's interesting. Well, TikTok think pieces abound these days. So in the show notes we have a few different articles that do a good job breaking down how TikTok is shaping dance and vice versa. Okay, so next up out of the mailbag is a topic submitted by Maria Uruita on Instagram. Thanks, Maria. She asked us to discuss the value of older bodies in the dance world because dance has, at least in recent decades or really recent centuries, been fixated on very young bodies. So in a lot of professional dance, ageism isn't seen as a discriminatory practice. It's seen as an acknowledgement of some inescapable reality. Dancers' careers are often over by age 40, but that doesn't have to be the case, and there should certainly be a place for older dancers in training environments. So let's talk about all of it. Yeah, I think when it comes to like professional dance, in some instances, you know, that word retired isn't just like I am retired, it is you have been retired, as in dancers are forced to stop dancing at a certain age because of their contracts or whatnot. I know like at the Paris Opera, I think at age 40 or something or 42, you're contractually mm -hmm. like no longer part of the company. But and, you know, there's obviously no denying that the body changes and you simply can't do the same things that you used to be able to do um, 
you know, I know my back was certainly always on the stiffer side, even as a younger dancer, although, you know, I was able to work with it, but now it just simply doesn't go. And then, (laughs) you know, um, and, you know, injuries build up and there's a thing called arthritis. And I think, too, the way dance technique, at least in certain styles, has developed over the years has given more and more focus on elasticity, flexibility, things that younger bodies are just kind of more um, suited for, I guess, or things that are just easier on a younger body. But um, Alonzo King said something recently in an interview that I that I thought made a lot of sense. It said, uh, sometimes when things are starting to fall apart physically, dancers become more profound artistically. And I really do think that there is something to that when you look at how professional dancers progress in their careers and how they build that artistic side of themselves through the years, like that will always continue to grow. And that doesn't really leave you, you know, that 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 part of dancing. And I think, honestly, one of the most um, memorable performances I think I've ever seen was by Steve Paxton, the like Judson Church mm-hmm. modern dancer. It was like a solo he did called The Beast at the Brishnikov Art Center. I think it was like in 2010, but he was, I think, you know, in his early 70s. It was very spare music, like it was like drips of water or something. And he was very dimly lit and he just sort of slowly moved his body in this very like idiosyncratic fashion, especially like I remember his neck, especially. It was just these really subtle, slow movements. And he totally did embody like a creature or a beast. Um, I thought it was incredibly mesmerizing and something only he could pull off, you know? I just think that that artistry, I mean, I think you have to cultivate it, but I do think that stays with you as you age and grows. Do you guys remember the dance company Paradigm that Gus Solomons Jr. founded back in the 90s? I don't. It was specifically for older dancers. And the first three dancers were Gus Carmen DeLavalade and Dudley Williams, Wow, which like, just imagine, right? The first performance that I ever had to review as a 19-year-old was a paradigm performance where Gus, Carmen, uh, Sarah Rudner, and Martine Van Hamel were the four performers. And I, like, I was a 19-year-old bunhead who was, you know, obsessed with pyrotechnical dancing. But even then, I was completely overwhelmed by like the collective wisdom in these bodies that was so immediately apparent as soon as they were on stage. It almost didn't matter what they were doing. It was just Mm -hmm. the the force of that collective experience was so beautiful. I also, as we were doing research for this episode, (laughs) this was such a wonderful one to do research for because every story is full of quotes from older dancers who are just have incredibly wise things to say about all of this. Like there was this dance magazine story from a few years back where Gus Solomons Jr. was talking about playing the instrument that you have. And I love that so much. Mm -hmm. Just the sense that now our bodies make different sounds. Maybe they have a different tone. How can you use that as a source of inspiration? Yeah. I mean, I have to say I, I take adult ballet class now and I retired, you know, almost 10 years ago now. And, um, you know, of course it feels different, but I love tapping into that, that wisdom and that artistic, you know, that, that part of me is still there, that joy and like, in self-expression and projecting and, um, just that like 
spark that I spent my whole dance career kind of cultivating. I love kind of finding it again. It's very easy to find again, I find. And even if though my grandmas are tight. But also just to have that like expectation no longer on me, the physical part. You know, I mean, I still obviously want to dance my best and all that, but to no longer have that kind of stress and pressure and expectation mm-hmm. um, to be able to do certain things is such a, a nice, brings on a lot of nice freedom. And honestly, like my ultimate dream job, and I'm so jealous of the very, very small group of people that get to do this with their lives. But I just think the most amazing job in the world is principal character artist. And totally, you know, because they get to explore that side of themselves without having that pressure of that physical pressure that was there when, when they were younger. Since you mentioned adult ballet class, that did make me think about how in training environments, there's this idea, I think that because older dancers bodies might have some more challenges meeting the demands of a traditional dance company, that they're less important. And that's not the case. You know, as you're saying, there's so much that you can get out of ballet, so much that you can contribute to ballet artistically, so much in the way you move and the way you perform can come from a place of, I guess, more mature. I don't I feel like maturity is such a like weirdly loaded word, but there's more to dance, including ballet than just, you know, all the pyrotechnics. And I like that there've been more you know, adult ballet classes and workshops and that kind of thing. But yeah, I think that's another another area, especially if you're just looking to get into dancing for the first time as an adult. It can be difficult, I think, to know where to start and what classes will be welcoming, Yeah, what classes will sufficiently challenge you if that's what you're looking for. But yeah, there's there's just so much value to dance beyond just training and performance at the professional level. Yeah, I think we talked about that a little bit in um, a previous mailbag episode. We did a segment on recreational dance students. We just have to release this idea that only professional track dance students, quote unquote, matter. That's like a larger cultural issue we have to kind of unpack throughout dance. The adult students that I take class with are fiercely loyal. I mean, they are there every week. You know, they, they love their ballet class. Also, I just sidebar... Um, I'm I'm performing in a Nutcracker this year. <gasps> Yay. I have graduated to party scene parent. I'm in the party scene parent phase of my life. <laughs> but yeah, at the local school that I've been uh, working with, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. That's exciting. That's so great. <laughs> oh, there's so much more to say and think about here. Um, we've linked several stories in the show notes that expand further on all of those ideas. All right, that concludes this special mailbag episode. Thanks everyone for joining. We'll be back soon with more discussion of the news that's moving the dance world. Keep learning, keep advocating, and keep dancing. Thanks everybody. Bye everyone. The Dance Edit Podcast is a product of Dance Media, publisher of Dance Magazine, Dance Spirit, Point, Dance Teacher, Dance Business Weekly, and the Dance Edit Newsletter. Our hosts are Amy Brandt, Courtney Escoyne, Margaret Fuhrer, and Lydia Murray. Our music is by Celestine, with special thanks to Broadway Dance Center for helping us record those footfall sounds. Find out more about The Dance Edit and subscribe to our daily newsletter at thedanceedit.com. Thank you.